Okay. This looks good. This looks good. Number six. At my age, it takes a little longer to learn how to work these gadgets. But once you get to, used to it, it's like you're doing your whole life. <laughs> okay. The Pasha, this week we read Matot and Masay. We always read Matot, Masay, and Devorim during the, through the Shabbatot of the three weeks. Um, you understand that there are always three Shabbatot in the three weeks. There's no other way to have three weeks. So we have the Shabbatot, Matot and Masay, and Devarim. But today, because of the configuration of things, Matot and Masay are this week. And Devarim is next week. What we call Shabbat Chazon. Right, that's next week. So in, in uh, Matot, in Matot, in the first of the two parashiot that we read this Shabbat, there's a really odd story. I mean, I can't impress it. It's hard for us. It's hard for us. It takes all of my energy to be able to see odd things in the Torah. I mean, you know, I've seen them all my life. The parasha rolls around every year. So it's kind of reasonable. You, like, you read the parashiot like it's the most reasonable thing in the world. But if you look carefully, or even just a little bit, at the story of Ruvain God and you have to agree that this is an odd story. Because the Jews left Mitzrayim, and Moshe Rabbeinu led them from Mitzrayim. And Moshe Rabbeinu, in these parashiot, in these parashiot, wants to get to Mitzrayim. And then we have Ruvain God, Let's say Reuven and God. Chatzishev Menashe is its own problem. I mean, how do you get an entity called Chatzishev Menashe? Which half was it? How did you know which half you were in? Uh, but leave that aside. Let's say we'll just talk about Reuven and God. They come to Moshe Rabbeinu and they have a ta'ana. They'd like to stay where they are. They don't want to go to Eretz Yisrael. I mean, like, this is not an argument that you could make into a reasonable position easily. I mean, they've left Mitzrayim in order to go to Eretz Yisrael. And now they're saying they don't want to go to Eretz Yisrael. So the argument is revised in the course of the discussion. And they say, okay, we'll go for the battles. We won't, we're not trying to cheat on that will fight for our brethren in Eretz Israel. Of course, this means that they're leaving behind the women, the children, and the sheep. Who is going to protect, who is supposed to protect the women and the children and the sheep that are left behind? After all, they're kind of in enemy territory, even though Am Yisrael conquered Sichon and Og. There's two kings, and they were we're talking about their territory. We're talking about their place, that they're going to stay there. But, you know, just because you won a war doesn't mean that there's not going to be another war. Just because you beat up on somebody doesn't mean that he might, in a couple of years, not be bigger and stronger and come back to beat up on you. I mean, this is not... So, how Ruven and God thought they would be able to engineer this 
going to Eretz Yisrael as the head of the fighting force and leaving the women and children and the sheep behind is not something that's very clear. But in the first few psukim there of this story that we're sort of like reminding ourselves of, there are several problems of Parshanut that I would like to take note of. Let's look at the psukim. Three psukim, I'll tell you. The first three psukim. Nikne Rav Gad The word Atsum means very. Now the word Ma'od means very, and the word Atsum means bigger, big and strong. So they had a lot of Mikne. The word Mikne usually means flocks of smaller animals like sheep. Flocks of sheep. So the first problem that Rashi apprises us is that Ruvain came first and God came second. So Rashi says, He is the older son. But he was born first. Long before God. So what is Rashi? What's, Rashi? what's the question? That why does Reuven come before God? And what's the answer? It's meaningless. It's a formal thing. It's formal. It doesn't mean anything. As Reuven was born first, he appears first in the Psukim. But, there's a hidden message here that Rashi said, as we'll see in the Balaturim in a minute. If you remember the Parashah Balfeh, which is a good idea, you will know, you can make the calculation immediately that B'nai God and B'nai Ruven are mentioned eight times in the parasha. Seven times B'nai God and B'nai Ruven. One time Ruven and God. The one time that Ruven comes before God is here in Pasuk Aleph. And Rashi says that's the way they were born. Which means, now that you remember, right, which Rashi certainly expected us to remember something simple like how many times I got a Ruvay mentioned in this barrack. Anybody who was a Talmud of Rashi knew that. So Rashi says, really, who is first in this story? Who comes first? God comes first. Before Ruvay. In this Pasuk, why does Ruvay come before God? Well, it's formal. It's like a formal honor. He was born first, he's listed first, but he's not first. First in the story of Ruben is is God. Okay? So then the Pasuk says, Yazer and Gilad are places that they conquered recently. And they look around and they see a lot of grazing land. Great place to park your sheep. Rashi says, Kisham Mir Etov. I mean, he sort of says it, but he clarifies it. There, you know, grazing is plenteous. Plentiful. Plenteous. Okay? Now, the next Pasuk. Pasuk Bet. You see? You see? And this is true throughout the entire parasha. God before Reuven. They said as follows. This is the quote, Lemor. I remember that Abba used to like to use the word Lemor. I don't know how, who's old enough to remember that. 
but he used to use the word Lemur when he was about to make a statement, so he sort of quoted himself. He said, and this is what I'm going to say. What did he say? Atarot v'divon v'yazer v'nimra v'cheshbon v'alalei u'shevam u'nevo u'v'on. So he said, you know all these cities that we just conquered, they're great places for shepherds like us. Rashi says, Right? Rashi says, They are the ones who conjured up this idea. They were This is like, you know, if those of you who have a literary sense, you understand that between Midian and Moab, the same problem took place, that the Midianites were the Balei Eitzah, and the Moabites, well, they were just scared, you know, so they joined up. Here you have also, I mean, I'm not comparing them exactly, but, you know, it's kind of a playoff that you might be able to make something out of. Like if you had to preside at the Bar Mitzvah of Twins, or something here, Bar Mitzvah Twins, or Bat Mitzvah Twins, Rashi says, And every single time, God comes first. Because in this story, Ruvain just slips along. That's what, that's, what, uh, um, that's what Rashi says. Okay, there you have it. So what problem is Rashi apprised us of? God and Ruvain, the order of things. Who comes first? In the first Pasuk, Ruvain, because he was the older. And the other Psukim, and the other Psukim, God, because he, according to Rashi, was the Baal Ha'itza. Baal Ha'itza. Now, in continuing this idea in Rashi, is the Baal Ha'turim. If you look at the Baal Ha'turim, which is right under the... the oh, that's the... That's, I'm sorry, that's the Ibn Ezra. There's no Rashi in this Psukim. So just change everything I said about Rashi to Ibn Ezra. That's easy enough, right? It's in the computer age. Can I do it on my recording? I guess not. Uh, but someday you'll be able to do it on recording, right? You'll be like to edit, to re-edit the recording as you make it. Like, uh, so you could say one thing and then have people hear another thing. So this is the Balaturim, right? The Balaturim, you know, his commentary is printed in all of the new versions of Mikraot Gedolot. In the old versions of Mikraot Gedolot, they only printed what they called Ikar Balhaturim. And the Ikar Balhaturim was the part of the Balhaturim that the printer happened to understand. But uh, we moved from that position, and now the, the, the Mikraot Gedolot are all printed with the Baal HaTurim, the whole thing, the whole Baal HaTurim. The Baal HaTurim said sometimes things that are a little odd, so they left them out, because when they printed Mikrod Gidolot, you know, in the old days, they didn't want anybody to think that we were odd, or that we thought in odd ways, so they left it out. And they did that several times, and the printers, you know, that, uh, uh, that the Rashbam, the Rashbam, Rashi's grandson, right, good Yichas and all, Rashi's grandson was the one who said that Vayivoker meant that the day ends at the night and starts in the day. Did I say that again? Uh, the Rashbam was the one who said that what Vayivoker means is Vayivoker, that's the end. 
And then Vayiboker is a new day. He said that the day ended in the night and started in the morning. It started in the morning. And because of that, if you happen to own an, uh, a Mikraot Gidolot, that's an inheritance from your grandparents, you look in it and you'll find, interestingly enough, that the Rashabam to Breshit, Perik Aleph, Perik Bet, and Perik Gimel does not exist. The printers, the printers, instead of trying to figure out what the Rashbam was talking about, what everybody knows, that the day starts at night. How could the Rashbam say something so weird? So instead of trying to figure that out, they erased it. The printers, the printers erased it because they felt that, you know, people wanted to buy a Mikraot Gedolot that was user-friendly. And that to have a, such an idea in the Mikraot Gedolot would make it too difficult. So they cut it out. In the modern, modern times, we're a little more, uh, it's easier for us to put up with uh, strange ideas. So they put the Rajabam back into the, the crowd. Now let's look at the Balatur. This is the whole Balatur. Ikdim Ruvain. Right, remember the first Pasuk, Ruvain comes first. Vayomer b'nei gadu b'nei Ruvain. Ikdim b'nei gad. And this is all over this parasha. What? Ela. What does Rashi say? What does Rashi say? I'm, I'm sorry, the Ibn Ezra, what does the Ibn Ezra say? That they gave, they produced the idea. What does, what does uh, the Baal to him say? Shem ayu ha-giborim. Valgehem nikarim. Dichtiv and that everybody knows that they are like tough guys, and because it says in the bracha that Moshe Rabbeinu gave to Bnei Gad at the end of the, at the, end of the term of Teref, the Tarab Zeroah Avkat Kod. Zeroah is your right arm, your you know, muscular arms, and Kod Kod is your head. I guess the thinking of soccer, right, which is played without your arms, but with your head and your feet. So, eight times, as I told you, some word, frightened at the beginning, and so the, the Balaturim says, a positive that it doesn't say, which means frightened. But it says which is a word that we don't understand. So the Galaturim takes care of the whole problem and he says, That this is a remez for the fact that the Nagad and Beiruvain came and took their Nachalah before everybody else. What is the taking their Nachalah before everybody else? What does that mean? What does that mean? Anyway, so we have a little bit more information that B'nai Gad were not only the advice givers as the Ibn Ezra thinks, but B'nai Gad are, the, are the, the, the brave ones, the ones who are the fighters, the ones who may have in that way gotten all these flocks that we're talking about. The Ramban. Let's look at the Ramban. Ah, let's look at the Archaim. First, because the Archaim is short. You see, after this level, there's an Archaim. Rav Chaim ben Atar, you know Rav Chaim Kadosh, he's one of the 
What are the great Jews? What are the three great Jews? Who is consistently called Kadosh. I don't know why that is, but I know that this is not true for most people. Right, so you have to figure that he was a special kind of a person. The other Chaim said, Mikderav Tam Hoda'azo. Ratzpika Katuv Tam Hanimsa Pifihem Lishelat. He says, after all, the Torah is trying to explain to us why B'nai God and B'nai Ruvain came and said, we want to settle here. We want to settle in the land of Sichon and Og. So what was the reason? Ki emetu, the Orchayim says. Emetu, like, it's the pshat. That's what they really said. What did they really say? They said, Mikberav. They had a lot of flocks. What do you think about that question? I mean, that's a question that no one asked. But it's a question. How come B'nai God and B'nai Ruben had this problem and the other Shvatim didn't have this problem? I mean, where did they get these flocks from? And wherever they got them from, where, where are the rest of the Shvatim? How could only B'nai God and B'nai Ruben have this problem? So look at the Orachayim. And the Orachayim says, B'tam shayalem yotem b'kola Shvatim. Liot, liot, that's because Shahayu Giborei Koach, Tazizu Hanshea Tzava, Chelet Meruta Mikolashvati. So, following the Balaturim, who follows Moshe Rabbeinu in the Bracha, in the Zota Bracha, he says they were Giborim. What does Giborim mean? Okay, everybody's fighting together, but the Giborim get the sheep. So they, got all the sheep, and the other B'nai Israel, like Shlumperim, you know, the guys who got out of the yeshiva or something, they, they couldn't figure out which way to go, and where the wall was exactly. And you know, these guys, they went straight for it, and they got all the sheep, and they collected them. So the archive says, Mikderab, that's an explanation. Why did B'nai God and B'nai Ruvain come and say, we want to stay here? Because they had Mikderab. How did they have Mikderab? Well, they would keep Orim. Who says that they were Giborim? Moshe Rabbeinu. At the end of Hazidu. He says that they were Giborim. And since they were Giborim, since they were Giborim, naturally they had all the sheep because when you go to battle, first one, first come, first serve, right? If you're there on the front line, you're going to get the sheep. And the other guys were slumping along and they didn't get the sheep. So that's, that's the story according to the Orachai. Along comes the Ramban. You see the Ramban? We can, we can look at the Pasuk in Tvarim, but let's look at the Ramban first. Hikpima ketub b'neiru uvein, the Pasuk HaRishot, o miknerav ayala b'neiru uvein, b'nei gad, te mishpat, ki hu habachor uvein hagvira. In other words, the Ramban says what, what the Ibn Ezra says. He says the same thing as the Ibn Ezra, that Ruvain, because the surface of Ruvain is older. The chayt is a sipra ketub, a ma'aseh hazeh yomar, in the beginning of Dvarim. It was when the, when the Torah tells the story, it also gives Tavo to Ruvain, who is older. Everybody seems to know this parasha by heart. First God, and then Ruvain. That's the Ibn Ezra, right? The Ibn Ezra came before the Ramban. Right? He's older than the Ramban, and the Ramban quotes the Ibn Ezra very often, but here he doesn't. 
even though the, he says the same thing as the Ibn Ezra, he doesn't quote it. He likes to quote the Ibn Ezra when he disagrees with him. The agreement is your own problem. You can look it up yourself. And they, of course, were tough guys, heroic personalities. The Ramban, right? I'm in the Ramban. Lo ayu irayim kishe lashevet levadam ba'aretz hazot b'nei yishrei aretz. And so they weren't afraid. They had this good land. They conquered it. They said, "Let's stay here. Let's stay here." I don't know. They said, "This is our this is our historic homeland." They couldn't say that, right? There's no history, so they have historic homeland. But they figured they'll stay there. They figured they'll stay there. They're going to go eventually go to war in Eretz Canaan. And they figured that they would leave all the Ogites and the, you know, the Sichonites shivering in their pants. And as long as it would take to conquer the land, that would be, everybody would be fine. How long did it take to conquer the land? The land of Canaan. At least seven years. Minimally, it was like a minimum seven years. Uh, really, it took until everybody got settled and, and everything was straightened out to 21 years. 21 years a long time to leave your wife and children unprotected. Even seven years sounds like a long time to me. So, the Fikach lo yirayim l'shevet l'vadam eretz hazot v'nei shreya aretz v'hinei Moshe chashadotam Moshe Rabbeinu, we didn't learn this part of the story. Moshe Rabbeinu suspected. He thought maybe it was the opposite. That they wanted their wives and children and flocks to stay behind because they were afraid of what would happen in, in Canaan. They were afraid to go there, it's Canaan. So they figured that they could pshara, their wives and children will leave behind. This is what Moshe Rabbeinu thought. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu said that you ruling God in Chatzit Shei Melashi, you're not, you don't have bitachon. Bitachon means bitachon. Bitachon. You know what bitachon means? Bitachon means barak. That's bitachon. Bitachon is confidence that God's promise will be kept. There's no other good definition. In other words, there are promises that God makes to B'nai Yisrael. And Bitochon means that in spite of whatever the reality you live in is, you have faith that those promises will be kept. And that's always the issue. It's always the issue. Things are, are, is it so bad that it can't be kept? Is it so bad that it means that that uh, Hashem has reneged on the promise. That's the problem of Bitachon. And they answered him. They answered Moshe Rabbeinu. Halila Shemi Those were not afraid of these people in Canaan. We're happy to go first into battle. So, uh, there was a misunderstanding. 
according to the Ramban, but the, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu thought that they were trying to get away with something, and they answered and they said, we'll go first, we'll lead the way, we're, we're happy to go to battle, we have no fear of the Canaanites. So, according to the, uh, according to, uh, to the Ramban, the Ramban talks about the problems that the Ibn Ezra talks about, but they're like a little more extensively. Okay? Let's just look for a minute at that pasuk that everybody keeps referring to in Dvarim. L'gad Amar. You see at the bottom of the page? L'gad Amar. Baruch Marchiv Gad. What? Baruch Marchiv Gad. Baruch is Baruch. It's a hard word, but we all think we know what it means. Marchiv. Marchiv. Right? To increase. Increase territorially. Gad. The Rashi says, but you know, God, there was no limit. In, in, those, in Eretz Yisrael, where the ten and a half tribes were, the nine and a half tribes, nine and a half, where the ten and a half, nine and a half tribes were, there's a border on the eastern side. It's called the Jordan River. But Gad, where Gad and Ruvay were on the east of the Jordan River, there's no eastern border. Right? If you go to the, to the Prat, to the Shidekel, right? It just goes, goes on. So that's what Rashi says. Baruch Marchiv Gad. That's the bracha that Moshe Rabbeinu gave to, to Gad. Marchiv Gad. Why? Shayat Chumoshu Gad Marchiv Olech Ben Mizrach. Why? Because they were instrumental in getting Eretz Canaan. This was kind of their reward. What they got was this bracha from Moshe Rabbeinu. Then he goes on to Tel Aviv Shachem. Tel Aviv Shachem. Tel Aviv is a lion. An Aryeh Shachem. Rashi. Lefisha yasa muchlasfar. Lefikach nimshal ka'arayot. Shekol hasmulchim lasfar. Tzuchim liyot giborim. Svar, Svar is the, is the unpopulated border. You know, the Svar, it's like, uh, you know, it's like the border between Pakistan and Afghanistan. Or it's like, I don't, I don't want to make these kind of current kind of comparisons, but it's like between Israel and Egypt, where the border is not really a border, because it's just, an imaginary line, and anybody can walk through it. And even if you have soldiers patrolling, they're just not always in every spot all the time. So that's svar. Svar is you're in a bad situation. What's not svar? Not svar is we have the Jordan River. You have a river, so you know that everything on one side of the river is Jewish, is us, and everything on the other side of the river is them. So at least I know where the line is drawn, but on the svar. You don't always know that. So he says that that said two good things about about God. God was Marchiv God, and God was Kelavishachet. And the third thing he says is Betarat Zeroa Af Kodkod. Right, Zeroa is the right your arm, and Kodkod is your head. And Torah is to is to tear to smithereens. Torah Zeroa Kodkod. Harugim you nikarim. Like a lot of dead people. 
וחותכים הראש עם הזרוע במכה אחת. I really love that. They had the sword, I guess. They went whack. And off came the other guy's head and his right arm. Like a special move, you know, like today they play tennis instead of doing this. But in those days, that's what they did. And this is a great compliment to God, right? God was obviously, according to Rashi, trying to explain Moshe Rabbeinu, was a kind of heroic uh, uh, personality like Bar Kokhba. Like Bar Kokhba was not just a, a, uh, a fighter and a, uh, uh, the, leader of, uh, the leader of people at the time, but he was also a gibor. Like he himself was able to do things that other people were not able not able to do. The next pasuk, next pasuk says, Vayar Yisol, Reshit Lo, Reshit, the beginning, to him. Which means, according to Rashi, Vayar Reshit Lo, Rashi. You see the Rashi, the first line, wide line in the Rashi? Ra'a litolo selek ve'eretz sichon ve'od. Shu Reshit kibusha aretz. Like this Rashi, this Rashi, you can make a lot of hay out of this Rashi. Especially if you live on a hilltop in, uh, in Shomron. You know, because you would say, this is nothing, this hilltop. Wait till we get to those hilltops on the eastern side of the Jordan River. According to Rashi, according to Rashi, look at the words. He was his idea, his idea, God. Remember the Zavachlok is whether God, God was the Baal Eitzah or God was the fighting uh, leadership of this, of this, uh, probably both. He was probably both. But Rashi says, Rashi says, Ra'ali tolo chedid ba'eret sichon ra'od. Shehi reshit kibush ha'aretz. What does that mean? Well, like if you have a halachic mind. So what is Rashid Kibush Ha'aretz? That means that there's such a thing called Kibush Ha'aretz, which is necessary before, before Chalukat Ha'aretz. Right, there's Chalukat Ha'aretz, Chalukat, dividing Eretz Israel amongst the tribes. What precedes Chalukat Ha'aretz? Kibush Ha'aretz. Kibush Ha'aretz is something that's mandatory according to the halachic view of things. Of course, kibush ha'aretz doesn't mean you have to kill anybody. You can go and say, okay, we're happy to make peace with you as long as you evict the premises. So that's one option. If you fight, we're going to fight. So, so kibush ha'aretz precedes halukat Eretz Yisrael. Just because we were promised Eretz Yisrael by HaKadosh Baruch to Avrov, to Yitzhak and Yaakov, doesn't mean we're going to get it without any effort. The effort is called kibush, and after kibush, there's chalukah, and after chalukah, there's nachalah, that you, you, you plant things, and you grow them, and then you have to do the mitzvot, hatriot Eretz Yisrael, this is the process, this is called, this is called uh, uh, kibush Eretz Yisrael. According to Rashi, according to Rashi, and there's something to think about, that the kibush of Sichon Ba'od, why did they conquer Sichon Ba'od? Because they didn't want to let them... Go, go through. They didn't want to give them water. It wasn't that they conquered Sichon Ba'od because 
that was part of the original plan. At least it doesn't seem to us to be the case. They conquered Yericho because they had to conquer Yericho. They had to conquer Shechem because they had to conquer Shechem. But they didn't have to conquer all of these cities that connected to Sichabob if Sichabob would have let them go, go by. But they didn't let them go by, so they, they had a war, which Am Yisrael was victorious in. The law comes Rashi, and Rashi is giving us a hint about what is going on. It's a hint, it's like two words, but it's a big hint. And the big hint is that Reuven and God understood that they already had Eretz Yisrael. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu didn't say to them, you're not going to go to Eretz Yisrael. He said to them, you're not going to go fight with everybody. That's different. He said, of course we're going to go fight. So why did Moshe Rabbeinu say, how come you're not going to Eretz Yisrael? Why are you going to stay here in the land of Sichon Ve'og? So Rashi says, Sichon Ve'og was the beginning of the kibush of Eretz Yisrael. If that was the beginning of the kibush of Eretz Yisrael, then when Moshe Rabbeinu gave them the land of, er- of Sichon Ve'og, what was he doing? What? He was doing Chalukat Eretz Yisrael. He was, he was doing Chalukat Eretz Yisrael even though they hadn't yet conquered Eretz Yisrael. I remember that. It's going to be very important. I just want to look at... Uh, I mean, that's really enough for us, right? Okay, let's look at the second page. Uh, there's a pasuk in uh, Bamidbar that's a good time in this parasha where they answer like Reuben and God Moshe Rabbein accuses them of trying to uh, wheedle their way out of the battle in Eretz Kenan they say we'll go first quickly with Nebine Yisrael We'll go quickly, Rashi. We're going to quickly, excitedly, go along. And then he explains the Pasuk. You see the Lefnei B'nei Yisrael? Rashi Hagayasot. You would say the Machatim, the Magadim. We're going to a guys is like an army. What an army, Rashi Gayasot. The heads, Bitoch Shegiborim Hayu. Rashi says again, not again, but the Balaturim said it, and the Ramban said it, and now Rashi says it. They were Giborim Shekain Nehmar Begad, Betayar Zeroa Avkot Kod. Taf Moshe Chazau, Pirishta Abeira Dvarim, and Moshe Rabbeinu repeats that in Perik Gimel and Dvarim, which is the possible the Balaturim then mentions. It says that in the battle there was the there were the scouts they call them today. You know scouts? Scouts in the Israeli army, those are the guys who run around little jeeps and make big dust clouds as they run around. I know it's quite true, we're sure what they're doing, but it's very, uh, it's a very noble enterprise to be a scout. And he says, uh, It will be a richo ketive chalutz o lech lefnehem. It 
would be scouts. Rashi says they they actually fulfilled their agreement. The agreement was they would go first, they would fight first, and that's exactly that's exactly uh, what they did. You see the passage of Yoshua. Right, that's the passage that's referred to. What does Rashi say in Yoshua? So Rashi in Yoshua explains the passage differently than Rashi in Dvarim. At the end of the verse, remember Rashi at the end of the verse says they whacked the enemy and cut off his head and his arm at the same time. That's what Rashi says there. Here Rashi says in Yoshua, he said, Makim chazaka. That the Zroa refers to the arm of the God and Ruvain soldiers. But we can understand it could have different, it could have two meanings. I mean, the end is all the same. The same meaning that Ruvain and God were Kiborim, especially God. And they were able to fight in a special way. Everybody was afraid of them, and they went first. The rest of the Jews were schleppers, kind of went along. And Reuben and God, they did, uh, they did the job. Before we learn this Svas Emes, which is really the point of the, uh, this whole exercise, there's a statement in the Medrash Rabbah that I would like you to see. So the Medrash Rabbah says this. You see, Dvarim Rabbah Pasha Bet, Omar Rabbi Levi, I'm not Rabbi Levi. You see the Dvarim, you see it? It's like the third, uh, third thing on the page. Dvarim Rabba Parsha Bet. I'm Rabbi Levi. I'm not a fan of Ribbono Shalom. I'm not a fan of Ribbono So Moshe Rabbeinu is making a plea. And he's saying, Yosef, his bones came into Eretz Yisrael. Why do I have to die and be buried here in Chutz Laaretz? Why can't I be, why can't I be like Yosef? Yosef died in Chutz Laaretz. But ultimately, he was buried in Eretz Yisrael. Like, this is another plea. It could be that that's what Moshe Rabbeinu said when he said, that he said, at least I should be buried in Eretz Yisrael. If I can't come to Eretz Israel as a living, a living person, but why am I worse than Yosef, who died in Egypt? And I, Moshe Rabbeinu, was the one responsible for bringing Yosef along with us. Listen, this is a wonderful medrash. Yosef HaTzadik deserved it. You, Moshe Rabbeinu, you don't deserve it. You know what we're talking about? We're not talking about seeing Eretz Israel. We're talking about being buried in Eretz Israel after you die. But he says, Yosef and Moshe Rabbeinu I'm not the same. Yosef is definitely superior in this manner. What does that mean? Right? So he says, Yosef hadaba atzominai 
How do you know? What does it mean Yosef admitted his land? What did he admit? So he says, Virato Omeret. His mistress, I mean Potiphar's wife, said to him, Ru'u, Hevilanu Ish Ivri. She said, Huh? Look who they brought us. A Hebrew. You know, she was insulting to him. But Moshe Rabbeinu, lo kafar. He didn't say anything. He didn't say, no, I'm not a Hebrew. I'm an Egyptian. He didn't say that. Ella, v'ganov gunafti me'eretz ha'ivri. He himself says, but he describes himself. He says, I was stolen from the land of the Hebrews. In other words, about, about uh, sorry, Yosef said, uh, he admitted who he was. So he deserved to be buried in Eretz Israel. How do we know that he is going to be buried in Eretz Israel? Apostle in Yoshua, that that's not Yosef. Asher ha'alum Eretz Mitzrayim kavrum b'shem. That's what it says, Apostle in Yoshua, that he was actually buried in Shem. Today, of course, everybody knows that he's buried in Shem because the brats of the Hasidim go there, and everybody wonders who the most insane in this process is. But they go there. Now listen to what the Bedra says about Moshe Rabbeinu. You, Moshe Rabbeinu, who didn't admit where you came from, Remember that? They come to Yitro and they say, an Egyptian man saved us from these shepherds who wanted to do us in with the water, with the rock, with whatever. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't say, I'm not an Egyptian. Ani Ivri. He didn't say that. And since he didn't say that, since he didn't say that, he is punished. He's not buried in Eretz Yisrael. So that the Medrash says, the Medrash says, that there were two issues. One issue was coming to Eretz Yisrael alive and being, as the Medrash said, being able to do the mitzvot in Eretz Yisrael. Kodesh Baruch Hu said to Moshe Rabbeinu, was no Kiddush Hashem, you and Aaron, you didn't do the right thing, you can't come to Eretz Yisrael. But there was another issue. And the other issue was being buried in Eretz Yisrael. And the question was, why Yosef, yes, and Moshe Rabbeinu, no. And this, this Medrash has something very painful to say about Moshe Rabbeinu. And that painful thing is that he was not even buried in Eretz Yisrael. Because on some level, he didn't deserve to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. 
So having learned all of this, having thought about all of these things somewhat, I want to turn to the Svat Emet. Svat Emet, you know that Svat Emet is the grandson of the Chudush Yarim, he was the second Gera Rebbe. And he wrote these books called Svat Emet, which today, uh, these, uh, they put them together, and if he wrote them, uh, I think somebody wrote them. But he said most of them on Shabbat, it's Sudashli Shit, as Rebbe's often do, and they are very popular today. The books are very popular today for some reason. I mean, I don't think they shouldn't be popular. I think they're outstanding. But when I grew up, they weren't so popular. You know, it was like, uh, whoever heard of the Swat they met when I was, uh, when I was a yeshiva student. But listen to what the Swat they met said. Binyan Benegar Benegruve. He says, there's something here that you have to understand. He says, Katafni Vakoma Khab Shemarav me Pshischa. Now the Rav Me Pshischa, Rapsimcha Bunim, was the Rebbe of the Svatamet, in a way manner of speaking. Right? The Rav Simcha Bunim, divided up the the inheritance from the Chose, from the Chose between him and the Yehudi Akodash. And the Svata and the Rapsikabunim became the Rebbe of of Gur, like he was the teacher of Gur and he was the teacher of, of Rajzin and Ishbitz. But he was had all these Talmudim. So when the Gera Rebbe says quote something from Sikhabunim, it's like quoting somebody from his uh, one of his teachers. I mean even though they didn't live at the same time but uh, the Gerebbe had a grandfather whose name, I'm saying, Svat Emes, had a gay grandfather who was the Chudush Yarim. And he was a Talmud of the Kotzka. And the Kotzka was a Talmud of Rapsichabudim, you understand? So it's all in the family, so to speak. It's all in the family. So he says, so this is when, when the Svat Emes says, I'm going to tell you something that I heard from Sichabudim, it's not exactly like somebody else saying it. If he says it, that he heard it, so he heard it like there's like a living tradition that brings this into the, into the fore. Now listen to what he heard from Sirabune. Pirush Mikneh Rav. So we understand there's a problem about Mikneh Rav. What's the problem? Where did they get it from? And how come they had Mikneh Rav? How come nobody else had Mikneh Rav? Right? There's kind of a problem. So there's a problem which is answered by the Ramban by saying that they were Giborim. Giborim, so you get a lot of booty because you're the first one there, they got all the sheep, you know, I mean, like in the movie, we could see it. But when I say it, it's not so satisfying. What do you mean they were first? What do you mean they were there? What about everybody else? What about everybody else? So listen to what Sirabunim says this. Make Nerach, Shayolahem Kinyan, Dvekut, Demosh Rabbeinu Olav Shalom. Mikveh. Like, you know, you could say whatever you want to say. You could look it up in the dictionary, but if you look at the word mikneh, you could say it has something to do with the word kinyan. Kinyan is a word in Hebrew that's used for sales, for buying, for selling kinyan, but it's also used, even in modern Hebrew, kinyan ruchani. Like, what is a kinyan ruchani? I used to walk 
was on the floor. You would stand on the floor. Now you have a kinyan ruchani. You walk two centimeters above the ground. That's called kinyan kinyan ruchani. Or you know that's what they advertise. They, uh, they I remember when I first came to Eretz Yisrael, there was a flying convention in Strats. I, I, 45 years ago. Flying convention. I didn't know what flying. What's flying? So the people who like really know how to do it. We have uh, Marcus is here. Marcus is a world expert in things that I don't know anything about. Like being at yoga and doing these exercises. And Marcus, if you want to do that, he's your man. And Sunday night he's putting on a play that he wrote about how Shlomo HaMelech dealt with his 700 wives. Is that right? This is something a problem that Marcus has been working on for many years. And he's got it down. So if you want to find out how it really happened in an educational context, Marcus is to write these plays for children in schools in England. And was very successful so he became a yoga instead because, you know, he likes to try new things. So uh, on, on Sunday at 5.15, is that right? Sunday at 5.15 at Pardes, which is in Tel Piyot. You can learn about how King Solomon dealt with the seven hundred wives. And after that, Rabbi Sylvester, who is also here, is going to lead the discussion which I hope will not be that everybody should try to get 700 wives, but uh, and I hope it's not that convincing. In any event, so mikne is a spiritual kinyan. Mikne, Rav, says, Rav says, is there was a special connection between Chayalahem, God and Reuven, right? We're leaving out Chatsi and Menashe, but God and Reuven had a special connection to Moshe Rabbeinu. Chayalahem, Kinyandre, Kutu, Moshe Rabbeinu, Lava Shalom. Yeshloma, Ode. See, that's all they have from Sukhabunam. Now the Sasana says, Yeshloma, Ode, Kiratsubase. They wanted to strengthen this connection, Kedeshi Yelahem, Achalukah, Alpi Moshe Rabbeinu Alav HaShalom Ba'atzma. It had nothing to do with sheep. It had nothing to do with property. nothing to do with anything. But, but Reuven and God was so close to Moshe Rabbeinu that they wanted Moshe Rabbeinu to effect the Chalukah, to divide up the land for them. If they would have waited until Moshe Rabbeinu died, then who was in charge of the Chalukah? And I would Yoshua. They said, we don't want Yoshua. We want Moshe Rabbeinu. Only Moshe Rabbeinu. What do you mean Chalukah? Chalukah sounds like a, like a functional thing. Or something an engineer would do. He says, no. He says, this is something that Kodesh Boch commanded. In order to do it the best possible way, Reuben and God. They said, only Moshe Rabbeinu. After all, it's only a hechatim to that Moshe Rabbeinu is not going to Eretz Yisrael. In theory, if this hadn't happened, that had to happen. So he wouldn't go to Eretz Yisrael. And he wouldn't divide it up. But since he's not going to Eretz Yisrael, and he's not dividing up the land, we, Reuben and God, want Moshe Rabbeinu. We want Moshe Rabbeinu to divide up the land. It's a halachic matter, which means it's a Torah matter, which means it's a spiritual matter. Because Moshe Rabbeinu, all of a sudden, we call this Eretz Yisrael. 
And that's really why Moshe Rabbeinu was arguing with HaKadosh Baruch about going into Eretz Yisrael. Because if Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who divided up the land, This is like a well-known Hasidic kind of turn of things. If Moshe Rabbeinu had gone to Eretz Yisrael, and if Moshe Rabbeinu had done the Chalukah of Eretz Yisrael, then that would have been inviolate. No one would have ever been able to change that. And therefore the Canaanites would have either had to accept their role in Eretz Yisrael or to leave. That's what the Swazemis said. And therefore, the Swazemis is defending Ruven and God. According to Swazemis, Chalukah from Moshe Rabbeinu is different, it's better, it's, it's on a different level than the Chalukah that's going to be done by Yoshua bin Nun. Remember the parish of Pinchas, which is a parish that we read a couple of weeks ago, but not so long ago. Moshe Rabbeinu explains to Bnei Yisrael what the general boundaries are for the different Shvatim. Why did he do that? In order that the, the final division by Yeshua Ben Nun should be more powerful, should be strengthened, should have kiyum, should exist. And he says, Ki gvulim mekon shurish. He says, Gvulot, you need Gvulot. Because Gvulot means the place of HaKadosh Baruch in the world. I mean, that's what we're like aiming at. So the Gvulot of Eretz Yisrael are an important part of coming to Eretz Yisrael. So Moshe Rabbeinu tried to give them that. And he said, They didn't want only that Moshe Rabbeinu would tell them approximately what the borders were like in Eretz Israel, but they wanted Moshe Rabbeinu to actually give it to them, to give them their place because a Chalukah by Moshe Rabbeinu is different than a Chalukah by Yoshua bin. So there are finally two points that I want to make. First, you asked that eternal question of Pshat. Did Rafsinchabunim, did Rafsinchabunim, did this is really Pshat? My feeling is yes. Because what is Pshat? Pshat is when it makes sense. And if, according to, according to Svatamet, and according to Rafsinchabunim, to say that Mikne Rav means that they had a lot of sheep, and that doesn't make sense. Because where did they get the sheep from? And what did they need the sheep for? And why did they allow the sheep to turn into an argument about where they should stay or not? To Absichabunim, to say that Mikner Rav's sheep didn't make any sense. But to say that Reuven and God had this understanding of who Moshe Rabbeinu was, and that Reuven and God understood that Moshe Rabbeinu was not going to Eretz Israel. Not only was he not going to Eretz Yisrael, but according to the Medrash, he wasn't going to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. And he wasn't going to Eretz Yisrael, he wasn't going to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. No one would have the privilege of a Chalukah of Eretz Yisrael, Al Yedei Moshe Rabbeinu, would have to be Yeshua Benun. And even though Moshe Rabbeinu tried to counteract that a bit, 
Because in Pinchas he describes how the Shratim are going to be divided up in Eretz Yisrael and what the boundaries of the division are. It's not the same as actually dividing up the, the land. So Ruvain and Gad, who understood something, and it's a different discussion, but the Sikha Bunim could handle it. Why it was Ruvain and why it was Gad? Gad, we understand had special qualities. But Ruven also had special qualities. So Ruven was the great Baal Tshuva. And he understood, as well as God, that getting an inheritance from Moshe Rabbeinu would make all of the difference. And the way they understood it was that the conquest of Sichon Ba'og could be the conquest of Eretz Yisrael if they turned it into that. Or it would just be another conquest that would be forgotten over time, so that Reuven and God came to Moshe Rabbeinu, and they said to Moshe Rabbeinu, you're not going into Eretz Israel, yes, but if you divide the land of Sichon Ba'og and give it to us, then you're in Eretz Israel already. So this is what the deal was. They said, we want our Chalukah to be done by Moshe Rabbeinu, but we also know that if the Chalukah is done by Moshe Rabbeinu, then in some way Moshe Rabbeinu is already in Eretz Yisrael, and the desire that he has to come to Eretz Yisrael will be fulfilled. Have a good chance. And you know, it was a very close question to you that Ruben and God said, El Moshe, El Yodra, El they did not come to which is, uh, okay. which is something that has to be flexed. No, no, good, good. It's like the CEO can't give up. You know? Marv, Marv. Don't go anywhere. <laughs>